0: As far as preaching goes, uh, the remainder of the summer, we're going to be talking about what we call redemption life. That's this blue banner, abide in Christ, grow in the church, reach the community. That's that's what it means to be a disciple at Redemption Church. That's what it means to to be serving the Lord here. That's what we're going to see happening in every individual life. We're abiding in Christ, growing in the church, and reaching the community. Once we kind of do that we're gonna do that through till September. September 16th is going to be our launch as a kind of independent church, kind of kickoff of the year. And from then, we're going to start spending our time looking at redemption culture. Uh, that's the gray banners on either side of me. What does it mean to be the church as we come together as these kinds of individual disciples? What does it mean for us to operate uh, as a church together? And again, you'll see some overlap from the four pillars. We're just saying it a little different, but these are the six features of of redemption culture. Fervent prayer, a prayer that is dependent and expectant. That's where we start. God, you need to do this. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labors labor in vain. Uh, Bold preaching, preaching that is expository and applicational. Passionate worship, worship in spirit and in truth. Purposeful disciple making, uh, intentional and in community courageous evangelism with word and with deed, and then strategic church planting together and around the world. So those are these kind of two paradigms that are going to be the guiding principles of of what we're doing, making sure that we're we're spending our time on the things that matter. We don't want to play games. We don't want to play church here. We want to be the church in action. We We want this to be real. We want this to matter into eternity. Uh, and so those are going to be our, our guardrails to keep us going in the right direction. Um, so we'll spend from September through till November looking at those, and then we're going to launch into Exodus, which I'm super excited about. I've been studying through it, and it is so rich. It's, it is like Doctrine 101 packed into these great stories of God at work rescuing his people and bringing them uh, through toward the promised land. So. Excited about that and we'll, we'll, we'll be in, in Exodus through till uh, next September. Um, so buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Uh, but today, our first Sunday as, as Redemption Church, uh, I thought it is only appropriate for us to stop and ask the question, what's in a name? What is in a name? Why Redemption Church? What does it mean? What does redemption even mean? I, I hope Every believer could, could answer that question, but it seems to me particularly pertinent. If, if you're now going to be attending a church called Redemption Church, you better be able to answer the question, well, what is redemption anyway? Uh, how do you answer that? And So this is not going to be a typical sermon. I want us to grasp this idea of, of redemption, and it's a topic that is literally fleshed out from Genesis through to Revelation, and uh, And I just wrestled hard this week to find one verse that kind of brought it all together that we could kind of root in and spend our time in, and, and I failed to do so. So we're going we're gonna to jump around this morning a lot more than we typically do. Uh, don't get me wrong, my goal is to preach what Scripture says, um, but we're just going to be bumping around and and picking up a few different passages uh, to guide us along the way. So I'm going to have the scriptures behind me on the screen so you don't have to have the the lightning-fast fingers. Um, You may want to have your pen out if you're a note-taker and and just jot down some of those references if you want to look them up later. Um, But as always, we want you to have God's Word in your hands. So if if you don't have a Bible on you, um, just go ahead and slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. Um, It's all about God's Word, and I am by no means above God's word. I am held accountable to God's word. And so we want you to be able to look down and say, yeah, he's just saying what the Bible says, or maybe, hey, hold on a second, John, you, you missed something here. Uh, there's a knot there that you missed. Uh, that changes things. Um, I'm, I'm not without error. And so I want you guys to be feeding on God's word, not my word. Um, And of course, if you don't have a Bible at home or one you can read easily, this is our gift to you. We want you to have it. Please take it. Um, We are thrilled when we have to restock our Bibles. Um, So when we talk about redemption, uh, I'm afraid that far too often we we think that maybe we're moving into like a technical term territory. That, That this idea of redemption is one of those theological terms, it's an ivory tower kind of a, a term that belongs in the seminaries with the, with the smart guys uh, wearing the bow ties. Uh, that's not it. That's not what this is about. The concept of redemption is it's a little removed from us culturally, but in Jesus' day it was very common and it was well understood, but more than that, it was an idea that people identified with on an emotional level. They felt the weight of this word redemption. It's not just a cold theological terminology to them. It was rich and meaningful. It was a, a moving metaphor. And, and I hope that's what it will become for us as we come to understand it better. That, that this will not just be our name, but this will be something that we love, something we're passionate about, that we, that we understand and feel the weight of what it means to be redemption church and the glory behind that. The word comes from the marketplace particularly from the slave market. And a little little Greek lesson for the nerds that care about that. The rest so of you guys can take your little cat nap now. Um, the word is lutrosis, which just means to pay the price, to, to buy something. Um, but the, the re- word redemption throughout scripture uh, is, is typically a compound word. It's apolutrosis. It's that little apo on the front means out from. And so it's to purchase out from. And, and it was just kind of a a general word with that meaning, but by the time Jesus and Paul, it had really become kind of connected to the whole idea of slavery and, and purchasing someone out from slavery. Purchasing them with the intent of setting them free. So picture yourself walking through a, a noisy market in a first century city and you round the corner and you find yourself on the outer edge of an auction in progress. But you look up on the auction block and it's not what we would expect, a, a bucket of old tools or, or maybe your farmer, you're used to the, kind of the cattle and chickens or whatever else are there. Um, it's not machinery, it's, it's human beings. People, people of every age, of every race, of either gender, being sold off to the highest bidder. Some of them certainly uh, have been kidnapped, stolen from their Homes and are being sold by by wicked men for a profit. But most typically, these are people who were poor or had incurred a debt that that they just could not repay. And and they simply were unable to, to feed themselves, to clothe themselves, to care for their families. And so with absolutely no other option available to them out of complete desperation, they would sell their children or maybe themselves into slavery To pay that debt or to be then cared for by a master who would then feed them and their family. Some of the masters would be kind and generous. Some of them would be cruel. That was out of their control. This was their last hope, their only option. As you stood looking out over the crowd, you see going up onto the auction block a a beautiful but terrified little girl crowd presses in. She's young. She has a lot of life ahead of her. She will be easily trained and subdued. She will be a valuable servant in the home, and she's going to go for a premium. But your heart breaks for this little girl. As the auctioneer opens the bidding, you realize there is only one hope for her to be saved from a life of slavery, possibly to a brutal Master, and that is if someone is to buy her at market value to be the highest bidder to pay the full price and then set her free, take that as a loss and let her go. So, as the auctioneer begins to call out almost involuntarily, compelled by compassion, you, you, your hand shoots up. You take the first bid, but immediately, someone else bids against you and again your hand goes up and back and forth it goes higher and higher and higher one after another the competition begins to drop off and fade away the price is too high going once going twice sold you've spent your life savings everything you have but that's, that's not what's important to you right now. You've, you've bought this little girl. Her life belongs to you. You can do with her as you please. You're going to set her free. You're going to give her hope again. You're going to give her life back. You've bought her out of slavery. You've paid the price that radically changes who she is. You've redeemed her. That's the picture that Jesus and Paul and Peter are, are pointing us to. That's what they see and feel in their hearts when they use this word of redemption. See what I mean? They, they felt this as an emotional term. We've been redeemed. But as beautiful as that reality is, it forces us first to admit something ugly. A lot of people today balk at this idea of Redemption. We don't really want to talk about that. We want to talk about Jesus as a good example for us. We want to talk about Jesus as, as having victory over the grave. But, but redemption is kind of sliding down the list because, well, to be redeemed, we have to admit slavery. We have to admit that we were in trouble in our day and age. Uh, that's just a hard pill to swallow. And, and it was in Jesus' day as well. Uh, John 8 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. Listen, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. You can just hear this incredulous response. We're offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? John, you're telling me that redemption is good news, that I can be bought like a slave out of slavery, but I hate to break it to you, I'm a free man. I don't need it. I'm not interested. I already have a pretty good life. I'm I'm pretty happy as I am. And, And it's hard to get too excited about this idea of being redeemed. It's like walking up to someone dressed in a fancy, expensive suit and just saying, Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. I have a change of clothes for you. What are you talking about? I'm the best dressed guy here. Do you know how much this suit costs? This is top of the line. This is is the stuff on the fashion runways. Well, sir, when you laid down in that park over there, you may not have noticed it was an off-leash dog park and your back is absolutely soiled with feces and you smell horrible. It's not not a happy thing to learn. It's not a nice place to be. And so to to understand and appreciate the idea of redemption, first you have to understand your predicament. And for you faithful note takers, yeah, that was all build up. This is point one. We need to understand your predicament. That's where redemption begins. What is the feces that is on us? What is our need for redemption? Redemption, what are we being redeemed out of? Well, Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us. There's there's the idea of redemption, different word, but that's it. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, In whom, in Jesus, we have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. Redemption assumes slavery. And outside of Christ, without His rescue, we're we're slaves. We're slaves to sin. When the Jews pushed back against Jesus, saying... Jesus, we've we've never been slaves to anyone. Don't tell us about being set free. We're not slaves. Jesus responded, John 8, 38. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin, who has an ongoing pattern of sin in their life, is a slave to sin. Jesus is saying, you're not as free as you think you are. You consistently sin. You consistently break God's law and do what is wrong. You have from birth, don't believe me, ask your parents, um, why do you do that? Why do you think that is? It's because you're actually enslaved to your sin. And you say, I'm, I'm no slave. I do whatever I want. Well, that's exactly it. You do whatever you want but the thing that you want is the problem that's where this slavery takes its hold it's in the heart jeremiah 17:9 the heart is deceitful above all things desperately sick who can understand it over in ephesians chapter 2 paul says it this way and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's, that's Satan, among whom we all once lived, listen to this, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and therefore were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What did we do? We, we followed after the passions, the desires of the flesh, the things that we wanted. And that was part of our nature, that we did those things and were children of objects of God's wrath. Yeah, you know, You're free to do whatever you want to do. The problem is you're not free to choose what you want, are you? I desire all kinds of things that are not holy. We're born with that sin in us as an inheritance from our great grandfather Adam. And we're born in the guilt of sin with this corruption of sin And make no mistake, every one of us delightedly runs after that sin. It's precisely in our hearts and our desires where the root of this problem takes hold. And we are born in bondage to this this God-rejecting, sin-loving heart. Because we desire and love and run after everything that is wrong. And that slavery is not to a kind and benevolent master. Now, I know sin offers all kinds of great things. It offers this immediate gratification. This will be fun. This will be great. This will satisfy your desires. This will make you happy. This will fulfill you. But its true end is disaster and destruction and despair. As we saw, in Ephesians 2, that following of the desires and the body and the mind ultimately makes us children of God's wrath, objects of his judgment into eternity. Romans 6, 23, I'm sure you know it. Paul puts it this way: the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn by our sin. It's a little bit convoluted because we earn a, a negative, we earn a debt. Your sin has earned you a debt that you cannot pay. It's death. And here Paul isn't just talking about physical death. If you're reading through the scope of his writings, it's very clear. Uh, He's talking about hell. He's talking about an eternity of God's judgment. That's what Paul is thinking about in that first verse we read, Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is God's righteous wrath against all those who break it. All those who fail to be holy as he is holy. And and that's all of us. That's the human predicament. That's the slavery that we find ourselves in. That's what we need redemption from. Whether you recognize it or admit it or not, that's the truth. That's where we stand and it is a terrifying reality. It ought to leave us in this place of of desperation. Like that little girl on the auction block looking out at, at a vicious and cruel master bidding eagerly for her. Completely helpless over the fate of our own souls. You have to understand your predicament. You were born as a slave to sin. You are owned by the curse of the law and it demands hell for every one of us. And that ought to lead us to the second point. Consider the price. As we think about redemption, we ought to understand our predicament and then consider the price. One of the key themes of redemption is this price that is paid to purchase a sinner out from that slavery. The wages of sin is death. From the very beginning, uh, with Adam in the garden, God was very clear. But the penalty for sin would be death. Adam was given one law in the garden. Genesis 2.17, God tells Adam, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you shall die. Simply put, Ezekiel 18.4, God says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. God, as the creator and owner of all things, is the owner of our souls. He owns you. And he has the right to do what he chooses. And as the perfect and holy judge, he demands capital punishment for sin. It's treason against God. That's that's what it rightly deserves. The penalty must be paid. Put it back into the slave market analogy this is the market price for your life. This is the debt that we owe that holds us in slavery and and we cannot pay it. The price to redeem someone from that slavery was called the ransom price. That's why Jesus says, Matthew 20, 28, listen to this, even as the Son of Man, which was a high and lofty Old Testament term Jesus used to to talk about himself, the Son of Man came Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Back to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was no coincidence that Jesus died on the cross. It was an Old Testament symbol of the curse of God, the righteous judgment of God being poured out. We so easily take our redemption for granted. We think of it as a small thing. Because I think when when we forgive, it's just a matter of letting go, right? I mean, I'm I'm not saying that forgiveness is always easy. Sometimes it's very hard in our sinfulness but the bottom line is our forgiveness really doesn't cost us anything it's just a matter of letting it go so often as I'm talking with people about the grace of God and the cross of Christ and this high price the question that comes back is why can't God just let it go why can't God just overlook it just sweep it under the rug be done with it not make such a big deal of it but that fails to understand God and his justice. See, it's, it's a right and honorable thing for us to let it go. To write it off. To not count that debt against people. But it would not be right for a judge to forgive someone who is guilty under the law. That's his job. He stands as a representative of the law. And his job is to uphold the integrity and the honor of the law, by dealing out the proper penalty, no one would look into a courtroom where a, where a child molester and murderer was was clearly proven beyond the shadow of a doubt to be guilty, and the judge stood up and said, "Obviously he's guilty. everyone can see that, but i 'm just going to let this one go we 're just going to forgive him and, and let him walk it 's not the judge 's place. that would be an insult against the law that would be." Unthinkable, there would be riots in the street. As a representative of the law, he can't just simply overlook on uh, wrongdoing. He he has to deal out the proper judgment. God is the perfect and righteous judge. And, And though we don't see it as we should see it, our sin against him is more grievous than anything that's ever been tried in a human court. And God is not only the judge as this representative of the law, but he himself is the law. It's his very character and nature that stands as the bar that we must meet. He's perfect and holy. And so to neglect the proper sentence, to simply try to brush sin away, for God to kind of just turn a blind eye, doesn't just dishonor the law in some abstract way. It, it would be a dishonor to God himself. It would be a disgrace to his glory. A mockery of who he is. Now, The penalty must be dealt out. It must be paid. The full ransom has to be paid. And that's the wonder of redemption. That God doesn't just forgive like we forgive at no cost to himself. Just overlooking it. Just pretend like it never happened. But he himself actually paid the full price that we deserved. That is a place of confidence and hope, is it not? That in Jesus, God absorbed the curse of his own law. It's not not like it's there hanging over us and it might come back someday. It's been paid. Paid in full. Our sin isn't just overlooked and ignored. It's fully dealt with. That's the picture of the Old Testament sacrificial system. The goat or the bull sacrificed in the place of the sinner. And yet that was never sufficient on its own. That was never the plan for the long term. That was always only meant as a picture of what redemption would be. That was a placeholder looking forward to Christ. Hebrews 10.4 says, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, Hebrews 9.12 tells us the true price of our redemption. It says that He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not not the temple, which again was a representation of the presence of God, but into the very presence of God. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The Bible uses blood as this symbol of death. Death, the blood, the cross. They're all used interchangeably throughout Scripture. Jesus' death was the price paid for your redemption. Romans 5, 9 is a vision of the saints in heaven gathered around Jesus. It says they sang a new song. Saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe, every language, every people and nation. 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. If you're not a believer this morning, you need to look square in the face of that price that was paid. The price that stands over you is, is death and hell. That's what you deserve. That's what the law demands. Think of this. If God did not spare his own son to redeem some out from under the law, you think if you reject him, he will spare you? Believer, consider the price of your redemption. This ought to bring us to just tears of gratitude. Think of the cost that was paid. The predicament that we were in was so desperate, so dire. The wickedness of your sin demanded a payment that would have taken you an eternity in hell to pay. On the cross, as we've so often sung, Jesus paid it all. He took it. Led by the Holy Spirit, looking forward to this reality, the psalmist writes in Psalm 130, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. What a gracious God! Not a partial redemption, not something that, you know, God has done 90% and we just need to finish it up. We just need to make sure that we live good enough lives to make up the gap. It's not incomplete. It's not in doubt or question in any way. It is a plentiful redemption. The price was fully, abundantly paid. Stand in awe and wonder. Rest confidently in the redemption of our God. As we understand our predicament that requires our redemption, as we consider the price that was paid for our redemption, that ought to lead us then to live in the purpose of our redemption and to hope in the promise of our redemption. This this changes everything. Live in the purpose of your redemption. Again, go back to that little girl. Purchased out of a, a cruel life of slavery at great cost and set free. What do you think she'll do with that newfound freedom? She was once... A slave forced by a a cruel master against her own will, but now overflowing with joy and gratitude, she she would do anything for her rescuer. You you saved me. You restored my life. You gave me back everything. Paul puts it this way in, in Romans 6, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. We once were slaves to sin by compulsion of a, of a wicked heart, captive and condemned to a life of pain and suffering and death, and now set Free by this loving God at great cost. The Bible actually continues to refer to us as slaves, but it's slaves of a very different kind, isn't it? Slaves that are obedient from the heart, joyful, willing slaves. Paul often refers to himself as a bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ. That's the purpose of our redemption. That's what God is doing in the here and now. That's what he intends to bring about in our lives. We already looked at 1 Peter 1:18. Look again. Knowing that you were ransomed from what? From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now he's talking, I think, as well there about the guilt that comes with it, but certainly that lifestyle. You were, you were redeemed out of that futile life of, of sin, of obeying that old master. That's part of your redemption. Not only out of the penalty of sin, but also saved out of the slavery to the practice of sin. Titus 2, 14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It is, again, there's that, that obedience from the heart that is those who've been set free. were just thrilled and excited to, to do what our loving master would, would enjoy. He redeemed us to be free from sin, to leave lawlessness behind, to be zealous for good works. So live in that. Walk in that. Think about, meditate on that that predicament that you were in and the price that God has paid for you. And let that awaken your heart to this purpose of your redemption. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, just the end of 19, the beginning of 20. For you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. That's what this redemption life is all about. abiding in Christ and growing in the church and reaching the community. It's it's living out our redemption. Living this life that that overflows with grateful obedience to our blessed Redeemer. And and I would ask you if, if there's no evidence of that joyful obedience from the heart in your life, you need to ask, have I been redeemed? Have I actually been redeemed? What what difference does it make? This is God's purpose in our redemption, to to glorify Him out of lives of joyful obedience. Does your life reflect that? Does it overflow, growing in in holiness and, and evidence that you've been set free from sin and none of us are saved and leave all sin behind? We continue to wrestle with old habits and lingering hooks of sin in our flesh. Sometimes a lot. But is there a desire in your heart to honor God? Are you you grieved by your sin as you go back to that old master? Or are you growing? Are you more and more learning to to live in that redemption and to, to live the way that He has called you to be? Look back. Five years, are you a different person now than you were then? Is God at work sanctifying you, working out His purpose in redemption? And then finally, we have to hope in the promise of our redemption. We are redeemed not only out of the penalty of sin, not only out of the practice of sin, but into the promise of God. Uh, Looking at, at Exodus, God doesn't just bring them out of Egypt, but He promises to bring them through to the promised land. We're redeemed from slavery, and then this kind of partner doctrine, we're adopted as sons of God. Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And yes, ladies, you are adopted as sons. And us guys have to deal with the fact that we're the bride of Christ, and you need to deal with the fact that you're adopted as sons. But that's on purpose, and it's significant because in that day, a son had ownership in the father's estate. A son was a place of authority and and honor and respect in the household. A son was entitled to an inheritance. Ephesians 1, 7, and and I just, whenever I get into Ephesians 1, I just want to start at verse 3 and run right through to like 23, but, but I'll try to, I think verse 7 and 11, we just connect those dots. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And then He's kind of working out what does that mean that we have this redemption and forgiveness, verse 11. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works out all things according to the counsel of His will. And so salvation in the Bible and this idea of of redemption, it's not just a past tense thing that Jesus died and redeemed me from my sin. And it's not just past and and present that I am redeemed and I'm living out this this redeemed life in the present tense. But there's a future aspect as well. We look forward to the, the completion of our redemption. Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed For the day of redemption. There's a a guarantee, a promise of something to come. A day of redemption on the horizon. We're not there yet. We will receive it, but we're we're not there yet. Romans 8, 23. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, there's Paul's talking about earlier that, that uh, guarantee. The first fruit of the spirits, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You said, "Well, I thought we were redeemed. I thought we were adopted. We are. That is a present reality. But there's also a future hope, a greater fulfillment." We're not there yet. The fullness of both of those is still on the horizon. One more time, let's go back to our little girl in the slave market. She's witnessed this bidding war. She's watched helplessly as the price for her climbed higher and higher and higher and was overjoyed beyond words to hear that declaration sold, knowing that she had been purchased for freedom. Then as the crowd parts and she is presented to her kind-hearted bidder, he tells her, I'm not the man who bought you. I'm here as his representative. The man who bought you lives far away on his own perfect private island paradise. And not only is he the, the kindest, most generous, loving, benevolent man you ever wish to meet, but he is also the wealthiest man on the planet. And get this, not only has he redeemed you and set you free, which he could have done and would have been generous and kind and then left you there still as a poor orphan, but he's also adopted you as his child. He's already written you into the will. One day, all that he has will be yours. But you need to wait. You need to wait. He sent me here with a purse full of enough money to pay for all of your needs. And someday soon, he will come personally to get you. To take you home. To live with him in this perfect island paradise. But it's not yet. So here we wait. Fully Redeemed, fully adopted, a child of God, absolutely cared for, all that we truly need. And yet waiting for that completion of it. Waiting that great day when He will come back for us and take us home. When we finally will experience the fullness of what it means to be redeemed and adopted for now we continue in this dusty old city. He's provided everything we need in the meantime, but still we, we feel some of the pains and struggles and corruption of this old town. When storms blow through, they hit us too. Sometimes we're mocked and made fun of for believing this, this too-good-to-be-true tale. There goes that little girl. She thinks she's, she thinks she's the daughter Of the richest man in the world. Where is he now? Sometimes. For reasons that we don't even. Understand ourselves. We we go back to momentarily. Serving that old master. We hear his voice crying over the wall. And and we continue to obey him. Before we shake our heads. And remind ourselves who we are. Who our father is. It's hard. It's hard to live as as an adopted child. But not. Yet have the fullness of it. And we wait. How long? How long till you come back? But even on our hardest days, His representative, His Holy Spirit is with us, giving us the strength, giving us all that we need, reminding us again, oh, He's coming. He's coming. He's faithful. He's good. There's treasure in store. That island is there and He's coming back. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted. And so whatever trials and hardships face us now, they ought not to leave us in despair. They ought not to leave us broken. But rather, all the more eager. All the more setting our hope on that day. That wonderful day of redemption. We'll be with him. We'll fully experience and delight in everything that he has. Everything that is already ours. That's redemption. That's the the great truth that we want to just permeate who we are as a church. That we would cling to that as individuals. That we would talk about that as a church. That we would proclaim that to Alts and Mountain View County and the world? Do you understand the predicament that you were in? Maybe you're still there. Do you, do you realize that? Do you realize that judgment that hangs over you? Have you considered the price that God has paid for Redemption? Do you live in the, in the purpose of that redemption? And are you holding firmly to the hope of that redemption? The promise there. We're going to close celebrating communion together. Communion is a picture of redemption. It's what it's all about. It's a reminder. This is the price that was paid. It's a reminder. This is the body of Christ and His blood poured out for me. It's a declaration. I am one of those who has been purchased out from slavery, adopted. I am his child. Here I am waiting for his return. And it's a statement of hope. Paul says we proclaim his death until he returns. So I invite you, if you're a believer here today, join with us as we celebrate Reminding one another, reminding ourselves again of this great redemption. But if you're not a believer this morning, if, if you're not among the redeemed, if you've not put your hope in Jesus and in His sacrifice, if your life is not defined by that joyful obedience from the heart, but, but defined by actually a hatred toward God who would condemn the sin that you love, I ask you to let that cup pass. Just sit this one out and watch. And I want to challenge you to consider. Consider the cost of your sin. Consider the judgment of God that awaits those who rebel against Him. And I would plead with you to answer His call. Repent and believe. Trust in Him for the forgiveness of sin and the redemption of your soul. We're going to have communion handed out, and we're just going to take a few minutes. Josh is going to play quietly. We're just going to take some time to consider this glorious truth of redemption and what that means. Maybe you need to take it as a time of repentance. Maybe that old master has been crying out, and you've been faltering back, doubting your redemption, doubting your adoption, and going back to obedience to that sin that has held you down. And you just need to take this as a moment to say, God, That's not who I am. Help me to live in your redemption. Maybe you just need to take this moment to again feed that flame in your heart. Remember the price that was paid. Set your heart again on the hope. Maybe you've had a a hard week and the storms of this world are hitting. I know I'm redeemed, but this, this old world is a tiresome place. You just need to look again to that future hope.